As we go to open God's Word together, let's ask Him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we open now Your Word, we pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all Your fullness. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. I realized in my zeal to encourage the children, I forgot to mention the offering. So uh, the offering will be this morning for uh, the general fund, and it can be placed in the box at the back of the church. Uh, Please turn with me in God's word to the book of Proverbs, to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 671. If you're using your own Bible, you'll find that uh, between the books of Psalms and Ecclesiastes. And as we've said, if you open your Bible to about the middle, you should find the book of Proverbs. If you're visiting with us, as I said earlier, we're glad to have you here today. We've been considering a series in the morning through the book of Proverbs, and we've come to Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to read together the first 12 verses of Proverbs chapter 3. So Proverbs chapter 3, beginning our reading at verse 1 and reading through verse 12. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, We've been considering our way through the book of Proverbs, and as we've gone along, we've noticed the different voices that have been speaking, and one of the prominent voices that we've seen speaking in the book of Proverbs is the father to his son. And this is the third such speech or lecture, people have called it, uh, from the father to the son in the book of Proverbs. Uh, The father, this is the third time now the father is coming to address his son, Um, And this text before us is pretty evenly divided between commands that the father brings to the son and the promises that follow those commands. If he does the things commanded, he'll receive the promises. If he fulfills the obligations, he'll receive the blessings. That's sort of how it goes back and forth in this book. There are just sort of commands, or in this speech, there are commands and blessings, uh, six pairs of commands and blessings, uh, commands and corresponding promises that the father uses to encourage his son to walk in the way of wisdom. 
And this is all part and parcel to what the father has been doing throughout the book, is encouraging his son to walk in the ways of wisdom, to cling to it, to pursue it, uh, to walk in wisdom's ways. And the father wants to really persuade the son of the importance of doing these things, and he's going to persuade him of the importance of doing all these things by highlighting the attendant blessings that come with wisdom, uh, to give him positive encouragement on why one ought to walk in wisdom's way uh, because of all the blessings that are promised by God to those who walk in the way of wisdom and do not forsake it. There are great blessings laid out in this passage, uh, wonderful blessings that the Lord promises to His covenant people who keep His word. And so what are those blessings? How could we organize these six pairs? Well, I think we could first think about the blessings of remembrance, the blessings that come to those who remember the Lord. Secondly, the blessings of reverence, uh, those who walk with the Lord in godly piety. Uh, And finally, the blessings of significance, um, of being loved by the Lord. So we want to think about these things together. So uh, remembrance, reverence, and significance. Sorry, I couldn't think of three R's, but uh, they rhyme at least, so there's something. Um, The blessings of remembrance, reverence, and significance. Uh, What are the blessings of reverence? Really, the first four verses lay the foundation of what follows. Uh, The father reminding his son not to forget what he has learned. Um, And so it would be wrong to say the father is just one lecture after another, that there's no movement in what the father has to say to the son. There is definitely increasing urgency as the father addresses the son. If we were to go back to chapter 1 and see how he began his address to his son, he said, Hear, listen, and obey. Um, We went to chapter 2 and saw the second speech. He, He ramps up the urgency a little more. Accept what I say. Treasure up these things. Um, And now what does he do in in this third lecture in chapter 3? How does he begin with him? My son, don't forget these things. Keep these things. Guard these things. Um, You you see how it's it's being urged on him more and more to do what the Father is calling him to do. The seriousness of it is being ramped up as he goes along to encourage his son to walk in wisdom's ways. There's movement through what he has to say. Um, And it's being advanced throughout these lectures. Um, And we can see that from chapter 2 because he was taught that the importance for life in knowing God and receiving divine protection and divine deliverance from covenant breakers. And now he's going to talk about the, the blessings also that go far beyond just deliverance and protection. And so there, there's a wonderful movement to this and a growing sense both of urgency on the sun, but also of the sense of what the blessings are that come with walking in wisdom's ways. Um, and so the first four verses are really an encouragement for the son to remember what he's been taught, to remember God's precepts, to cling to them, and then to live them out. That's why we would call these blessings that are talked about in the first four verses the blessings of remembrance, because that's what the son is called to do with what the father has taught him. Do not forget these things. Remember them. Here there's a hearkening back to the crooked men and the forbidden woman of chapter 2, because they were people who had forgotten what they were taught, who had not kept the covenant, who were covenant breakers. And the Father is saying, don't be like those people uh, who forget and forsake the covenant of their God. Be covenant keepers. 
Be a covenant keeper. Um, Keep the covenant. Remember what you've been taught. Guard those things and guard them in your heart. Right? Don't just guard them, but the Father says, keep my commandments. Let your heart keep my commandments. Um, The heart is the center and the core of your being in Proverbs. It's where all your thoughts and life come out. And the Father is saying, that's where these things are to be kept. That's where they're to be remembered so that they might inform your life. Because what is the blessing that's attendant to those who remember the commandments of of God, who walk in the ways of wisdom? The the promises are great. Look at the promise of verse 2. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. What is the promise of keeping the law of God, of, of walking in His ways? Nothing less than long life and blessed life, a prolonged and prosperous life. Um, years of life they will add to you. Your life will be lengthened by walking in wisdom's ways. And it won't just be a longer life, it'll be a lavishly blessed life. It'll be a bigger life, a more blessed life. It will add peace to you. Um, that, that Hebrew word for peace is very expansive in what it signifies and promises to God's people. What is the life of peace that it, the writer of Hebrews is talking about? Uh, well, commentators are helpful on this. One said, it's a comprehensive kind of fulfillment or completion, indeed of a perfection in life and spirit, which transcends any success which man alone, even under the best of circumstances, can obtain. It's not just, it's not just a, a peaceful life in a merely earthly sense. There's a spiritual component to it, something that only God can give. Another commentator said, This life of peace and prosperity has every sufficiency and good fortune, free from hostility and lack, and so filled with inner contentment, delight, joy, and pleasure as a gift from God. This is more than just a promise of earthly prosperity. This is the promise of a long life lived at peace with God. That's the attendant blessing to remembering the precepts of our God. A peaceful and prosperous life with Him. Long life lived with Him. And that's why it's important not just to keep these precepts in the heart, the Father says, but to live them out in your life. That's the importance of what we read in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Right? Walk with these things. Go out and live them. Keep them in your heart and then live them out of your heart. That's what the Father wants for the Son. Uh, not done in some wooden way where you, you know, that, that you just wear a necklace with some scripture printed on it, but it's more the sense of Having these things so committed to your mind that you live them out, you remember them as you go out. Almost a sense of having memorized them and living them as you walk in the world. So you live them out. Um, This is done, one said, by glorying in, meditating on, and acting on these principles. Do not let steadfast love or faithfulness forsake you. Where do we usually hear those words? We hear those connected with our covenant God who is filled with steadfast love and faithfulness. 
And so what is the command here, really? Just continuing to be a faithful covenant partner. Walk in the ways of your God. God is filled with steadfast love and faithfulness. He wants His people filled with steadfast love and faithfulness. And again, what are the blessings that are attendant on those who do that? They have favor in the sight of God and men. You will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You will be well thought of by earth and heaven. Um, And maybe when I read those verses, they sounded somewhat familiar in your ears. You thought, maybe that sounds familiar, something I've read elsewhere. And maybe it was from Luke's description of the young life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, when he tells us about Jesus growing up, his last statement about his young life is in Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I think Luke uses those words intentionally. Um, Because what do they tell us about Jesus even from a young age? He was one who did not let steadfast love or faithfulness depart from him. He was one who remembered the commandments of his father. Uh, He was one who took them with him. And as we pointed out previously, had them on his lips, in his mind, from his heart. Not only living them out, but had them to call to mind in the most intense afflictions, temptations, and difficulties, whether it was in the wilderness tempted by the devil or on the cross, he had the Word of God at his, on his lips. Um, and we can glorify Christ as one who is steadfast in love and faithfulness. Not only the covenant God, but a faithful covenant partner. And we can see in Him what we are to emulate as His servants. There are blessings of remembrance. He's been given the name above every name, favor in the sight of God and men, living a long life before his father's throne at peace and prosperity. He's realized all of these promises, and he holds them out to all those who believe in him and walk in his way. There are blessings of remembrance that come to God's people, and these blessings of remembrance then serve as the foundation for the reverence that God calls his people to. So the the first four verses are really foundational to the core of the passage, which is what we find in verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. It's key and foundational for us to remember what God has called us to and to live lives of piety and reverence before Him. Um, And what is the particular remembrance that God's people are called to? We are called, or reverence that we're called to, we're called to trust the Lord. It's interesting in in this central section and from here, the name of the Lord becomes very important. What are God's people called to do in reverence and piety before the Lord? They're called to trust in the Lord. They're called to fear the Lord. They're called to honor the Lord. The Lord's name is important. That covenant name that He's revealed to His own people so they would know Him. That covenant name that tells us everything about our covenant God. It's important before we think about trusting the Lord to think about who the Lord is, 
Who is this God in whom we're called to put our trust? And as we think about him, it's, it then becomes a no-brainer why we should trust him. He is the great creator and sustainer of all things. He's the one who called everything into being. He's the one who was moving everything by his providential hand towards the end for which he's made it all. And he's not just the great almighty God who made everything, who sustains everything. He is also the great redeemer and deliverer of his people. The Lord who has always revealed himself to his people as the one who delivers them out of every affliction and brings them safely into the peace and prosperity he's promised. The God who delivered them out of Egypt and into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's who God is. He is the great redeemer and deliverer. And then, of course, you know where I'm going to end. He's the great renewer and sanctifier. He's the one who makes his people live and makes them new and makes them holy so that they might live with a holy God. This is who the Lord is for his covenant people. This is who he's revealed himself to be, to his particular people, like no other people on the face of the earth. And when we understand who he is, who would not trust that God? Who would not put their trust in him to do for them everything We need to be done in our lives. And that's why this act of piety, this act of reverence, is first and foremost foundational for God's people. This is the core of this teaching. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord exclusively. Trust in the Lord and no one else. Right? Trust in the Lord and no one else. We're called to an exclusive kind of trust here. A kind of trust that specifically does not lean on our own understanding. Right? That's what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart, to trust in Him exclusively, and to not lean on your own understanding. It's important to note that reliance on God and reliance on ourselves are polar opposites. We can do one or the other, we can't do both. You either trust in the Lord or you trust in yourself. And you are no support. Right? That's what the the text is saying. Do not lean on your own understanding. It will not support you. Who will support you? The Lord will support you. The Lord is the rock on whom you can lean with confidence, on whom you can depend. Trust in Him exclusively, not in yourself. And our trust in Him is not just to be exclusive, it's to be exhaustive. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Not letting your heart run after other things. That's what idolatry is. It's trusting in something instead of or alongside of God. And we're saying, no, our trust in God is to be exhaustive. It's to be with all of our hearts, all of our hearts leaning on Him, He alone is to be our trust, and we're to put all of our trust on Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Everything we do should be acknowledging God. Acknowledging here means something deeper than just knowing Him or just acknowledging that He is God. It means something deeper. I like the translation one scholar came up with, which acknowledge really means to know or to have fellowship with. To desire His presence. I like that. In all your ways, desire His presence. 
Desire that wherever you go, he would go with you. Be unwilling to go anywhere that he doesn't come. Right? That, that was the cry of the Israelites. If you won't go with us, don't, don't let us go from this place. Desire his presence exclusively, exhaustively. Trust in your Lord. And what does he promise to those who trust in him? He will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. This too is more than just guidance. It means that God will make the way before you straight and smooth. That God will go before you as a leveling God. And make the crooked ways straight before you. And make the rough places a plain before you. God will smooth your way forward in your life. That's the wonderful promise of our God. He will make your paths straight and smooth if you trust in Him. This is the central message in this chapter. This is the central message in the Christian life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In these last days, who's it been revealed to us that the Lord is? The Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him with all your heart. Desire His presence in all your ways, and He will make smooth your path. He will be a leveling presence in your life. He is the God that will care for you every day of your life. He is the God who will safely deliver you into His heavenly kingdom, who will turn all evil in this world to the benefit of your salvation. And we'll see to it that you come home in the end. He's to be trusted no matter what comes. The commentator said, The wise are confident that as they fulfill their obligations, the Lord will uphold His commitments in His own time and own way, even when the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. Some people have accused Proverbs of being naive. And saying, you know, it's really optimistic to say if you trust the Lord, He'll make all your ways straight and smooth. But that's not how life works. I trust the Lord. I've, I've come to many hitches in life. Um, I've walked over many rough places. And I trusted in the Lord, and I'm not sure He was a leveling presence in my life always that I could see. Isn't Proverbs being a little naive? I don't think it's being naive at all. Proverbs is very real about the difficulties of life. There are plenty of Proverbs that hit the difficulties of life straight ahead. Proverbs is not naive. It is optimistic. And why is Proverbs optimistic? Because it understands who God is. It's not because it's not realistic about the difficulties of life. It's because it's very realistic about the power of our God about the goodness of our God, about His power to work through the impossible to bring good to His people. It's, it's wrestled and reckoned with that question, is anything too hard for God? Is there a crooked road He can't make straight? Is there a rough place He will not make a plain before His people? Will He fail to bring them home? Will He fail to see that they live long and prosperous lives before His face? Proverbs would answer with an emphatic, no, of course he's going to do all those things for his people. He will not fail him. That's who the Lord is. That's why we trust in him for those blessings. 
That's why that trust in the Lord is to be manifested both inwardly in our lives and outwardly in what we do. That's really what verses 7 through 10 are dealing with. How does that trust in the Lord manifest itself in our hearts? Well, it manifests itself inwardly with a fear of the Lord. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Again, just as the opposite of trust is to lean on your own understanding, the opposite of fearing the Lord and turning aside from evil is being wise in your own eyes. There's nothing worse in the book of Proverbs than being wise in your own eyes. Proverbs will say specifically, you see a man who's wise in his own lives, in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than there is for him. And spoiler alert, Proverbs holds out very little hope for fools. It's a way of saying there's more hope for a fool than there is for someone who's wise in their own eyes. You can't tell anybody something when they're wise in their own eyes. They think they know everything. Um, Proverbs is saying, don't be that kind of person. One commentator said, this command prohibits being a know-it-all individualist who does it his own way. It's a state worse than being a fool. It's bad because of what it represents, but also because of what it means. It means you have not learned the fear of the Lord. It means you have not learned to turn away from evil. You have not learned to trust Him. And if we're like that, we miss a great blessing. What is the blessing that comes to one who does not, is not wise in his own eyes, but fears the Lord and turns aside from evil? It's another great blessing. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Isn't that a wonderful expression? Healing to your flesh and, and refreshment to your bones. Um, Hebrew is even a little more interesting. You know, we'll see a flesh, there's a footnote in our ESV that says navel. Might even be your belly button. It'll be good for your belly button to your bones. All of your body, outward to inward, will be healed. The fear of the Lord and turning aside from evil brings healing. The healing that God's people need in this life. Someone said, as a result of sin, humankind is sick on the road to death, in need of healing. But by trust in the Lord, which is inseparably connected with turning from endemic evil, people find healing toward eternal life. As if by drinking a divine elixir, one who fears the Lord will experience a spiritual quickening and nourishing. Again, some people have tried to turn this into some kind of, you know, you won't get sick or you'll be free from illness. The the Bible's talking about much greater things than that. Really being well. Not just physically, but psychologically, spiritually, body, soul, and mind. Being well, that's what's promised by the fear of the Lord. Godliness and goodness will make all of God's people well. It's a wonderful promise of how that's manifested itself in the trust of the Lord that manifests itself as the fear of the Lord inwardly and then expresses itself outwardly. How does the trust of the Lord express itself outwardly in the lives of God's people by those who honor the Lord in their worship? The fear of the Lord is the inward expression of trust. Honoring the Lord is the outward expression. The Lord is honored in our worship. 
uh, particularly in that, in that honoring God by giving to God from our wealth. Right? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Um, that's one of the ways that we honor the Lord, that we show the, the trust of the Lord is at work in our hearts by honoring Him with our first fruits. Now, for them who had crops and things, they brought those first fruits as a sacrifice. Um, not many of us are farmers, and those of us who have a crop don't come to a temple to offer part of it as a sacrifice. But the first fruits stood as the best and the choicest part of what we had. They represented bringing to God the first and the best of what we have. And we still try to keep that up in our own services today. Christ has commanded us to bring our first fruits to Him. How do we do that? Well, we honor Him with our gifts and offerings. And if you think about it, the way they function in the life of God's people, what is the first thing we do in the week? We come and we honor God with our wealth and our offerings. The first thing we do at the first day of the week is bring our offerings to God. That's one of the ways that we offer our first fruits to Him. Before we spend on anything else in the week, we give to God. It's a manifestation of that same idea that we honor God with the first fruits of what we have. We thank Him. And one of the promises that is conveyed to God's people is those who honor God in piety with their wealth, God will honor with plenty. Right? It's this wonderful promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, someone could turn this into a prosperity gospel proof text and they'd be, they'd be wrong. Um, one, one scholar said, we shouldn't see our offerings as investing in God and saying, what kind of return will we get if we invest with God? Um, I like how one commentator said, we tend to either seize on verse 10 critically or hopefully, but it must not steal the thunder of verse 9. To honor God in our financial ways is to see that they honor Him. The honor will be compounded largely of homage, of gratitude, and of trust. Forgiving in the face of material pressures is a simple test of faith. We might remember how Jesus lavished praise on the woman who came and gave just two pennies. Because he said it wasn't that she gave two pennies. That's not significant, a significant amount of money. But for her, it was all she had to live on. And that, that widow did not take those two pennies to God thinking, if I invest them in the offering box, I'll, it'll pay off in return for me from the Lord. What was she doing? She was honoring the Lord. And what an expression of trust in Him it was to say, I know I can give the Lord the last of what I have because the Lord will take care of me. That's how we honor God with what we have. We manifest a trust in Him that He will provide for His people. She wasn't trying to gain from God. She was embracing the promise that God makes to His people. See if when you honor me, I won't honor you. See if you will end up negative for trusting in me. Think of what Jesus said in Mark 10, 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this, in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions 
and in the age to come, eternal life. Um, one commentator said, piety and ethics pay off big. They pay off not in the way the world wants a payoff. They pay off in the terms of the spiritual blessings that God promises his people. Because when we put our trust in God, when we honor him, when we fear him, what becomes ours? Everything that belongs to Christ. The whole world becomes ours through faith in Christ. And God is saying to all of us, see if you don't trust me and fear me and honor me and see how it pays off big. It's worth it to serve the Lord. It's worth it to serve the Lord. It will be peaceful and long life. It will be favor in earth and heaven. It will be healing to your soul. It will be prosperity before the Lord all the days of our lives for eternity. See if trusting in the Lord doesn't pay off in the end. There are many blessings that come to God's people, and God highlights one last blessing here that we may not think of as a blessing. And that last blessing is conveyed in verses 11 and 12. I want to call it the blessing of significance. Don't worry, boys and girls, this point isn't as long as the other points. Um, but it's an important point. The blessing of significance. Um, this last blessing presumes not success on the son's part, but failure. What happens when we fail before the Lord to do what he's called us to do? Well, here we have a blessing that presumes failure. And that blessing is the discipline of the Lord. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Um, I suspect if we went around the room and said, let's list all the blessings of serving the Lord. It might be a long time before someone mentioned the blessing of discipline. Uh, the Lord's discipline as a blessing. Someone has called the Lord's discipline a severe mercy. Um, it's a painful, unpleasant experience for God's people. But the father is reminding his son, when the Lord disciplines us, regard it as a blessing. Don't reject it. Don't loathe it. Regard it as a blessing. And why is it to be regarded as a blessing? Because it's a sign the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you too much to let you go. Loves you too much to let you go to rack and ruin. It's a painful process to go through. It's a painful process to go through. Um, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 is a long discourse on these two verses. On these last two verses in our text, 11 and 12. Has a lot to say about discipline, but it ends by reminding us that while the process is unpleasant, the process has an important purpose. We read this in Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. 
Don't reject it. Don't loathe it. It's important. God is going through it to do a good work in your life. It's for your good. And what is that good? That you would share in his holiness. The Father is saying this, and when God does this, it's because he wants you to be like him. That's why he's doing these things. It's for your good and for your peace. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are shaped by it. He's, it's his way of bringing you back to remembrance of bringing you back to reverence so that you might receive the attendant blessings that flow from it. It's a sign that he loves you and will not let you go. That you have significance in your father's eye. So he looks at you and sees you as worthy of his time and effort that you might be blessed, that you might share his holiness that you might find the peaceable fruit of righteousness and find all the blessings that he has promised. It's a reminder here at the very end of that important thing that all of God's people need to know. And that's this, that your father loves you. That your father loves you. That's why he disciplines us. That's why all these blessings come to us. They come to us because he loves us. That's why he calls us to trust and then gives us his spirit so that we might trust. That's why when we're walking in the way that we shouldn't walk, he works to turn us back around because he wants us to experience all of the blessings. And if you're ever tempted to doubt whether your father loves you, Look again to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the manifestation of the Father's love for the world. And if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, remember that he loved you so much, he was willing to go to the cross that you might receive all of these blessings. And when you realize that you're unlovable and that's what makes you worry that he won't love you, remember that he showed his love for you by sending his son to die for you when you were still ungodly, when you were still weak, when you were still a sinner. God loved you enough to send you his son and his son loved you enough to die for you at just the right time. Everything comes to us because God holds us in significance as those he loves. As a father loves a child in whom he delights. That's the hope of God's people. And that's the reason that those who cling to the father in faith, the father clings to us. And that's where our hope lies. And that's how we know that we as undeserving sinners will receive all that God has promised. Long and prosperous life, favor before God and men, the straightening and smoothing of our paths, healing in body and soul, overflowing prosperity, now and forevermore. To him be the glory as the one who's done it. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are the overflowing fountain of good, that all good and blessings that come to your people come to us from that love. And we thank you for loving us as undeserving sinners. 
and out, out of abundance of that love showering on, on us rich blessings that come with trust in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would help us to keep the commands that we've seen in this passage, that we might remember you and keep your precepts, walk as faithful covenant partners, that we might trust in you, trust in you with all of our hearts, that we might fear you and honor you, that when we need to be rebuked, that we might learn from your discipline. And remember that you discipline those you love for their good, that we might share your holiness and experience the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Father, we thank you for all of your many blessings. We acknowledge that we do not deserve them. And so we give you the glory for them of giving them by grace to us in your Son. So hear our prayers. Let's turn to number 564 and sing the verses of 564 standing together. Dearly loved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, lift up your hearts to the Lord now and receive his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.